God, we cherish your word and we desire, Holy Spirit, for you to minister to our minds and our hearts as we go through Luke chapter 12. And so, God, I ask for your blessing upon the people here, that you would help them understand what you have to say to us. Uh, help me to deliver uh, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12 is where we're at. Now, back in Luke chapter 11, verse 29, uh, Luke recorded for us that the crowds were increasing. And Jesus addressed the questions that those people had for him. And then he went to the house of a Pharisee, and then he issued those three woes to the Pharisees. He issued those three woes to the lawyers. And then he gets invited to a Pharisee's house to, to eat. And so as he's there, the crowds continue to grow. And perhaps it's at this time, because the verse in verse 1 it says, in the meantime, those people who were following Jesus as the crowds were growing and as people were gathering, maybe they took this as an opportunity to go grab their friends and their family, knowing that you know, Jesus is going to be eating with this Pharisee for a few hours because a Middle Eastern meal is not like McDonald's. It's hours. And so maybe you know, this was a great opportunity for them to go out and, and gather folks because they knew that Jesus was going to be preoccupied having this meal with the Pharisee. So here we are in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, First, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So thousands of people trampling each other, wanting to be around Jesus. But who does Jesus focus his attention on first? And it's his disciples. Thousands of people, he could have catered to the thousands, could have catered to the masses, and he addresses his disciples first. So in this section of Scripture, Jesus cautioned his disciples against hypocrisy. He encouraged them to stand up to bullies, those religious bullies that are around there. And lastly, he addressed the sin that won't be forgiven. Now what is Jesus doing here? Is, is that he's calling us to be fearlessly real, to be boldly authentic with who we genuinely are as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, we, we have this uh, semi-annual baptism picnic in about two weeks, and I think this is a timely call for this, but for those of you who haven't been baptized, um, baptism is one of, one of those opportunities for you to be fearlessly real with your faith. That in the middle of Lake Temescal, where we're going to be in a couple of weeks, regardless of who is there, you know, the lifeguards that are working there, the staff people, um, maybe some families who are just camping out at the beach there and wanting to swim, whoever you invite, you are boldly presenting yourself as a follower of Jesus. And in front of a number of people, if you, if you choose, you have the opportunity to share your testimony as well. So as we gather there, and you, you have the opportunity to be as authentic as you want to be before others about your life as a disciple of Jesus and how he's transformed your life. So if, if you are a disciple of Jesus and you haven't been baptized yet, I want to encourage you to be baptized in two weeks. In regards to hypocrisy, you recall a few weeks ago when we looked at chapter 11, verse 39, where Jesus said, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Then Jesus let the Pharisees have it because they were imposters. Right? They, were, they were just phonies. 
And there may be some of you here who have been hurt by Christian imposters, right? Christian phonies, right? That there may be some of you who have been hurt by the church. And, and I'm really glad that you're here, even though you've experienced this trauma and this hurt, that you're given it another chance. Jesus knows how hurtful religious hypocrisy can be, and he addresses it here in this chapter. And you just have to know that Jesus is not the religious hypocrite. It's us. Sometimes we're just bad representatives of Jesus. right? But, but it's never Jesus. Sometimes we mess things up. Sometimes our church messes things up, gets things wrong. And I'm sorry if I personally have done something to do that towards you or if our church has, has done, done something. But it's not Jesus that is doing that. And this is what Jesus is, is kind of telling us this evening. He is warning us not to be fooled into thinking that we can present ourselves really nice on the outside while our insides are just rotten. That the inside matters as well. And we, we can't be authentic followers of Jesus without being real throughout our being. Outside as well as inside. Jesus said in verse 1, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now leaven is yeast. And so for any of you who have baked bread, you, you know that it only takes a little bit of leaven to thoroughly affect a lot of dough. And that's the caution sign Jesus is raising here, is that regardless of the size, it doesn't take all that much to infect the masses. You look at diseases or illnesses, um, cancers, colds, they start out very small, right? They, they start out very small, and over time, they, they steadily grow to become dangerous, sometimes fatal. So beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, or in my case, uh, preschool children, because they, they are the ones that gave this to me. Which is hypocrisy, those Hippocratic preschoolers. But inconsistency in, in what one says and what one does, right? Hypocrisy. And it spreads like disease. It spreads like illness. It eats away at our lives. And Jesus warns his disciples that hypocrisy isn't only wrong. It's also a pointless practice. It, it's pointless. Reason being is because you can't hide behind that facade forever. That sooner or later, that, that facade is coming down and everyone's going to see what's behind that facade. You, you can't stay behind it forever. Verses 2 and 3. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. There will be a day that reality that you are hiding is going to be revealed. That whoever you are hiding within you is going to be made known. That whatever you are hiding within you is going to be brought to the light. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul wrote, Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to the light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Everything, everything will be brought to the light. Not so good things like impure motives or you know, in, uh, uh, impure intentions. It's not simply that we have done good things or what good things we have done, but how we've done those things and why we've done those things. Because we can do good things, we can do those actions, but we can do them with a bad heart, can't we? Right? Because if I serve you food because you're hungry and I give you something to drink because you're thirsty and I clothe you because you're naked, but all the while, I hate it. I hate serving you. 
I don't want to do it. This is like, a, I feel it's a waste of my time. I have a resentment towards you for doing this. And I wonder, like, why can't you feed yourself? And why can't you like, provide clothing for yourself and all this stuff? That's hypocrisy. That is not consistent with who I am and with what I am doing. What I do on the outside is very different from who I am. Hypocrisy. And we can be so fake, can't we? Christians are so good at being fake. They're, they're great. Right? We, we pretend to be friendly and happy on the outside and everything's all good and oh, praise the Lord and oh, I want to shake your hand and bless you, brother, and all this kind of stuff. But inside you're just grumpy and you're just playing church and, and you have all these problems going inside of you, but you're not letting it show on the outside because you've got to present yourself as a happy Christian and everything's good and I never get depressed or anything like that. I'm always happy. And that's just hypocrisy. Who knows how long people can be fooled by our hypocrisy? Who knows? But it's certain that it won't be forever. It's certain that it won't be forever. Everything will come to light. And even the things that aren't necessarily bad, like public recognition, has its certain outcomes. You look back into Matthew chapter 6, verses 2-6. through 6. Jesus said this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So it's not that the public display of prayers or giving is a sin or it's bad. I don't think the Bible is saying that. It's just that the praise that you receive from the people, that's your reward. And so it's not the same reward from God. What God gives is best. And some of us may be settling for what's just good but not best. That we're just receiving the rewards from people and those praises from the people. And that's what it is. But beware of hypocrisy. It starts out so small like leaven, but what it eventually does is lethal. It's fatal. Now hypocrisy was common in Jesus' day just as it is common in our day. And so I have a friend who's been doing street evangelism in Berkeley on Shattuck for the past four or five months or so because he wants to plant a church in Berkeley sometime in the near future. And so we meet pretty regularly and we pray and we talk about things and we do prayer walks and we do stuff to try to help support him. And he tells me about these different discussions that he's had with people while he's doing this street evangelism stuff. And what he told me is that most people have a history with church or with Christians. It's not that they've never encountered one before. That they have had a bad experience with a church or Christian school or, or Christians. And, and so the issue has never been with Jesus. It's been with the hypocrites within the church or the Christian school or the, or the Christians themselves. That hypocrisy is the killer there. So he's had these hour-long, two-hour-long conversations with people. He told me about a conversation he had with uh, two Germans and, um, I don't know, the third uh, European, that they, they had this experience growing up in, in kind of the church and Christianity and things like that, and that's what the problem that they had. It wasn't with Jesus. 
And it's not to say that we as Christians are perfect. We, we know we aren't. We, right? we, we know we're far from perfect. But the call is for us to own up to our mistakes, to own up to our faults, to own up to our wrongs. Right? To be courageous enough to admit when we're wrong, to admit our shortcomings. Now, I have a question for you. Who else has the license to be as courageous and bold in our faults and in our wrongs than those who have the grace of God through Jesus Christ in their life? Who else? If anyone in this entire world can mess up, it's the Christian. Who can mess up more than us? Because we've been redeemed. Right? So, so anyone thinking like, oh, I can't mess up, I can't do wrong, I can't... That's something I can't say. Right? That, what, what's the use of hiding who we really are? Right? Because as Christians, you, you can get the messed up self out of hiding and be real. Because Jesus redeemed that person. And I think some people of the world who are, who are having a hard time accepting Christians are having a hard time because we don't openly admit our faults. That we we're hiding behind this Christian facade and presenting them to them something that's kind of phony. It's not real. And I think that's what people have an issue with. I don't think they'd have an issue if you were just kind of like, yeah, I, I messed up there and sorry. I think people would have some grace there. Right? I think they, they would be more accepting of that than if you were wrong and you just kind of like pretended nothing happened. That would be offensive to somebody. That, that would make them feel weird towards you, odd towards you. They, that would make them feel offended. And so the front some of us are putting on isn't as impressive as we think. Right? That, it's, it's not helping things. It's not progressing things. It's not giving a good portrayal of Christianity. Then Jesus proceeded to encourage his disciples for when they're bullied. Verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Now this phrase here, my friends, I find that really cool that Jesus views his disciples as his friends. That he's, he's speaking to us as his friends and, and he's instructing us not to be intimidated into silence or, or into hypocrisy by these religious bullies. That, that, hey, you guys can be real. You don't have to be fake about who you are and pretending all these kind of things. Don't let the leaven, that hypocrisy that's within them, come into you and change you. Be who you are. Stay authentic. Stay genuine. Don't let the fear of what people say or do drive you into not being the real you. Because the real you is awesome. God died for the real you. The fake you can go to hell. But the real you? (laughs) Jesus died for you. Right? Like that's 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 what he died for, the real you, not the, the pretend you, not the phony you. That's not who he died for. He died for you, the real you, the inside you, that's all jacked up. That person. That's who he died for. Not this, oh I'm so pretty and I am so smart and I never do anything wrong. He didn't die for that fake person. Jesus wants you in heaven, the real you. And as far as fear goes, I think there's this fear of death for people and a fear of the people who can kill us. I think there's this genuine fear here. But I, I want to tell you something. I don't know if you know this statistic or not, but everybody dies. <laughs> everybody dies. And there are only a couple people that I know of that haven't died. 
besides the ones that are living here. But ones that are recorded in the Bible, besides Enoch and Elijah, that's it. Everybody else has experienced death. Some of them has, have resurrected and, and some of them got revived again, like Lazarus or, you know, Paul. Or, like there are some people that, but they've experienced death. They have all died. And so if Jesus doesn't come back in the next 80 years or so, most of us are going to experience death. And if we haven't experienced death 80 years from now, you are very close to experiencing death. You just are, right? So, so after we're physically dead, what more can be done to you? After you're physically dead, you are dead. What else can be done? See, the physical life is temporary. The spiritual life is everlasting. It's everlasting. Verse 5, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. For us to learn the fear that will make you fear less of others. But the fear of the Lord. And as a disciple of Jesus, once you physically die, it's life everlasting with Jesus. But if you die without Jesus, it is God who has the authority to cast the unbeliever into hell. And He's the one to really fear. See, the physical world is temporary. The spiritual world is everlasting. Now this fear is, is meant to heighten our senses as to how holy and how awesome God is and how rebellious we are and how sinful we are. That this fear is to help us turn away from our arrogance and our destruction and, and our lack of wisdom in our actions and in our thoughts and what we say. Now, in looking at these verses, I, I find it interesting because they go back and forth, right? Verse 4 says, do not fear. Verse 5 says, fear him. And then in verse 7 it says, fear not. Like, what's going on, God? Just make up your mind. Just fear or fear not. Like, why are you, why are you doing this flip-flop thing? Well, the significance of these verses seems to be that of encouragement, that it seems that Jesus is issuing us a reassurance to his disciples that we are valuable in the eyes of God. You look at verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. A sparrow, which is not even worth a half a penny is not forgotten by God. That we are so well known by our Heavenly Father that even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Now granted, every time I shower, I'm, I'm losing a scary amount of hair. I, I don't know why that is. But um, you see how I'm balding? Like, I'm, I'm getting this vampire look. Like, this, this thing. I'm, I'm sharing some intimate details too. I know, TMI, TMI, I know, I know. But I, I'm taking this as a cool, good thing because um, with the trend of how, you know, all the vampire shows and all the, all the coolness that happens there, like Twilight and stuff, you know, um, I'm balding into coolness. Anyway, but seriously, all the hairs on my head are numbered, even the ones that I've lost. And he knows that. And my mom loves me a lot. Like, I, I don't know a mom that loves me more than 
my mom. Like, or, or yeah, I'm sure your moms love you too. My mom loves me a lot, though. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I was, when I was a baby, she was like, read this before, and she says, I love my kid too. And she was actually counting my hairs. I wouldn't put that past my mom. I love me. And I was thinking about this verse, and as I was washing my hair, and I was like, oh, I lost 10 hairs here, and I lost 6 hairs here. Okay, that's 16. But I don't know all of them. And God knows the intimacy of that, that He's numbered them, and we are so valued by God that He knows every single one. That's incredible to me, that He has that intimacy to know me that well, that He knows the very hairs on my head. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Don't let anything or anyone influence you into renouncing a relationship with Jesus. Don't let anyone bully you into doing that or influence you into doing that, claiming that you're stupid for believing that stuff or that that's nonsense, that's that's all fiction, that's all folklore. Own up to what you really believe despite those threats. Right? Des- despite the disrepute that you may, you may receive. If Jesus is real to you, own it. Own it. Own your faith. Now, let's move to the sin that won't be forgiven. This is one of the most easiest verses to exegete, by the way. Kidding. Verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That's the beauty of like just going verse, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. You can't skip anything, right? Because then you'd be like, hey, you skipped that. So here we go, verse 10. This sin that won't be forgiven is also found in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. Let me read those for you there. Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 through 32. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. In Mark's account, it's in Mark chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, I don't think that the Bible is teaching that sinning against God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, is okay, but sinning against the Holy Spirit is not. I don't think the Bible is saying that. Sin is a sin. right? It's equally repulsive to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're asking if you've committed this sin, like, oh, have I done this? Have I? You haven't. If you're asking that, you haven't. If you're worried about it, then you don't have to worry about it because this blasphemy would have you not even care whether you've committed the sin or not. Right? You, you'd be totally indifferent. Your, your heart would be so hardened that that question wouldn't even arise in your heart. It wouldn't even matter. You, would, you wouldn't even think about it. Right, so if this matters to you at all, then you haven't committed it. Now this is a, a mindful, intended, thoughtful, and determined sin. This sin is knowing that God has revealed Himself and, and His grace in Jesus to you. And the revelation of this is revealed by the Holy Spirit to you. But that revelation, even though Jesus is seen in that revelation, that revelation is attributed to anything or anyone but God. 
And rather than acknowledging that Jesus is the Savior revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, there is this denial that Jesus is God. See, the Pharisees were guilty of this in Luke chapter 11, verse 15. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. That's utter blasphemy. Right? When one determines that conversion, submission, obedience to Jesus, those are deceptive things, those are fictitious things, those are misleading things, that's when you're entering dangerous territory there. Right? When the truth of the Holy Spirit has been revealed to you and it's taken as absolutely invalid, as untrue, as made up by, by people, that person needs to be very careful of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's what the Pharisees were guilty of in Luke chapter 11 when they were attributing the things of God to the devil. So if you have the desire to be forgiven, if you have the desire to repent, you're not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You can't if that's what's in your heart. right? Mark chapter 3, verse 28, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. It's when one spirit is in rebellion to the Holy Spirit, rejecting the Holy Spirit, that the next verse, Mark chapter 3, verse 29, kicks in. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is a sin. Against the Gospel in its most clear and understandable revelation. That it is so clear to you and yet you are still pushing against it. Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is not when you doubt or when you question, when you have skepticism about the truth. If you have questions, if those things are happening inside of you and they're unsettled in you, continue to explore those things. That is not blasphemy. That is you trying to figure out a faith for yourself to make that real for yourself. That's, that's fine. That's not sin. Jesus is not telling us to just chuck the logic and the reasoning out the door, right? He's not telling us to do that. Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is a sin of denial that goes against your own convictions, that goes against your own uh, consciousness, that goes against the inner core of you, the intellect, the, the, the heart, in a deliberate way, in, in a cognizant way, in a, in a willful way. Even though you have all that information to influence you, and, and, and yet you are still being more influenced by Satan, you're being more influenced by the workings of Satan, attributing that which is of the Holy Spirit to Satan. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When, when you declare that what's within you, that Holy Spirit that is within you, you're declaring that person a lie. You're declaring that person false which also makes you declare that Jesus is a lie, that Jesus is false. So that's the sin that, that is unforgivable. Now, some of you might be wondering, so what you're saying is that there's a sin greater than God because God can't forgive that sin then. Let me clear that up. It's not that there is a sin too big for God to forgive. That's not the, the, the thing here. God's grace is larger and more powerful than any sin. Yet God has established laws, rules, ordinances, order around the realm of sin that He's going to uphold. That this law of blaspheming the Holy Spirit falls under the ordinances of God that if this is done, you're not going to repent. 
You won't repent. You will cut yourself off from conviction and conscience. You will harden your heart to the point where the sin you've committed at this point is unforgivable. So don't let anyone influence you in in such a way that, that goes against what the Holy Spirit is doing within you. Beware of hypocrisy. Be real. Don't put on a a religious front on the outside while the inside of you is rotten because that truth is going to be revealed. All that stuff is going to be out in the open. And you can't hide behind your phoniness forever. Don't let people bully you, threaten you, intimidate you into thinking, saying, and doing the wrong things about Jesus. Own up to your own faith. Stand up for your faith knowing that Jesus is on your side. He, He knows the very numbers of your hairs. On your head, He is an advocate before our Holy Heavenly Father. And the Holy Spirit is going to direct us in our time of need. And don't go into hypocrisy thinking that you can mess with sin because there is a sin that won't be forgiven. Verse 11, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. See, God doesn't want us to be anxious in the face of the threats these religious bullies bring on. Right? When, when you find yourself overwhelmed with the expectations of the church, of, of religious leaders, uh, of, of ministry leaders, of pastors, of people within the church, don't worry about those threats and those intimidations and the things that aren't of Jesus. Now there's this interesting Trinitarian picture here in this passage that I want to point out. You look back at verse 6. Jesus points out to God, the Heavenly Father, and how much our Heavenly Father values us. And then you look at verses 8 and 9 where Jesus speaks of Himself, the Son of Man, that He's our Advocate. Everyone who acknowledges Me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies Me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And then verse 12 showing us the Trinity. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit will come through at those times when we are in danger, when we're defenseless, when we need Him, when we are searching for something to say in front of those who are looking to judge us and condemn us for our faith. That the Holy Spirit will teach us in that very hour what we ought to say. Now, What He teaches us to say doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to keep us safe or that we're going to live through it. That's not not what He's saying. He's saying that He's going to be there to, to give us the words to say at that very hour to ensure that the Gospel goes forward. To ensure that the purposes of God goes forward. Not to preserve our life though. Not to preserve our safety. Because there are so many brothers and sisters out there on the mission field that the Lord is ministering to them at that very hour of need, but they still die a martyr. They still suffer. And you take a look back at Acts chapter 4, verses 8-12. through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed... Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter's pretty gutsy saying this to these guys. Right? The Holy Spirit. Notice that? In in, in verse 8, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. If he was not, I don't know if he could do this. This is pretty... They just crucified the Messiah not too long ago. Right? And then he heals this guy at the beautiful gate and these guys confront him. And so here he is filled with the Holy Spirit and he's able to present the Gospel. He's able to present God's purposes there boldly, courageously, not worrying about that safety, not worrying about his own life. But he's sending out that Gospel. He's sending out God's purposes. I don't know what's going on in Peter's head while he's doing this. I don't know if he realized it in the middle of his thing like, Oh man, I'm saying this stuff. I'm so dead. I should not be saying these things. But he must have recalled back in verse 12 when Jesus said, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And that must have been pretty exhilarating. He must have been like, Yeah, this is real. Like He's, he's, he's doing it. I might die, but he's doing it. Right? And you contrast that with another disciple. Judas Iscariot. Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Judas was one of the twelve also. Judas was really close to Jesus also. He sat right next to him at the Last Supper. And he looked so good on the outside, so good that none of the other 11 knew what he was up to. But he was so far from Jesus. He was a hypocrite. Right? The things happening inside of him, the plotting that he was wanting to do against Jesus, the betrayal that he was planning inside of him, meeting with those religious leaders, and yet on the outside, you know, hanging out with Jesus, going, going around, healing and you know, cheering on and hey, very good speech and all this kind of stuff. He's right there. He's someone who let the religious bullies influence him into thinking and doing the wrong things against Jesus. Right? Someone who didn't own up to his faith in Jesus and, and stand for his faith knowing that Jesus was on his side. He was with Jesus for three years every day. Knowing that Jesus loved him so dearly and was an advocate for him before God the Father, he knew the gospel. He knew it. How can you not? Being with Jesus every day for three years? And Judas, who I'm sure the Holy Spirit was directing him in his time of need. Whenever that time happened when something clicked where he decided to go the other side. I'm sure the Holy Spirit was there ministering to him and and trying to talk sense into him. And I think he went to that place where he blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He just was like, I I know this stuff. Uh, He's deliberately and consciously going against what is in his heart. What is in his conviction. What is in his intellect. What is in his conscience. He's doing all this stuff in a mindful and willful way and, and was more open to the influence of Satan than he was of the Holy Spirit. I think he blasphemed the Holy Spirit. That he, he hardened his heart to the point where the sin he committed was unforgivable. And what was it for? 
30 pieces of silver. That's what it was for. See, we have the potential to be like this. We can appear close to Jesus. We can appear doing all the right things in Jesus' name and look like we belong to Jesus. But we can be so far from Him. So far from Him that the inside of us is so rotten. That it's so far from Him. We, we've heard Jesus' warning to us against hypocrisy. Right? We've heard the love of God for us. He knows the very number of our hairs. We've heard of God's Word regarding an unforgivable blasphemy. And so if we go there, what is it for really? The equivalent to 30 pieces of silver? I don't think it's very much in comparison to the grandeur of eternity with God. That whatever it is, it's probably equivalent to 30 pieces of silver. Now in the beginning of the message, I mentioned baptism. And how many of you have not been baptized and yet you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Right? You look back to verses 8 and 9 of Luke chapter 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Yet there are some, some people who may have an issue with acknowledging Jesus in this kind of simple symbol of dying to yourself and coming up new, a new creation. That in front of our church family, we may have an issue of, of doing this baptism ritual. And if that's the case, then how can you really be a Christian in your workplace if you can't even do it in the family? How can you do it in your school setting? How can you do it in, in whatever kind of arena that you participate in outside of the church? How can you be a light there if you can't even do a simple ritual like baptism within the church family? Because I'm not saying that baptism gets you saved or that, that, that it, it even pertains to verses 8 and 9. What, what I am saying is that not doing it says something about your relationship with Jesus. Right? It says something about that relationship. So may we all receive the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and may we heed the warnings of the Holy Spirit and, and not mess around with sin in our lives. May we take the Word of God in reverence and, and purpose ourselves to the Gospel, purpose ourselves to the purposes of God. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your warning. Thank You for laying that out so plainly for us. That we definitely have to be self-aware of who we are. That we have to be aware of the influences that are from the outside that influence us. That we stand up to those things and own up to our own faith. And that there's also a spiritual realm to all of this too, Lord, where we can deny You there. Thank You, Lord, for Your warnings. And may You, Holy Spirit, equip us to live a life that is of a disciple of Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen.